0: Us to begin here, this new booklet. And it's sort of three different points or three different lessons, but really all one lesson. You'll see how these are overlapping, and much of what John has been writing so far is very much overlapping with things. You know, we call this sunny school, and we often even make jokes and references to, well, that's that's sunny school stuff, right? And we sort of equate it down to, well, that's just the simple things. Well, we need the simple things. That's why we still have Sunday school. And Sunday school itself is still even pretty relatively new. Let's not forget that either. We're talking about 150 years old. Um, and it's that old-timey way. But but Sunday school, it's a blessed time that we can sit together. We can study God's Word. But we can study these sort of Sunday school truths that John has been presenting here. He's been talking about what it means to know God, um, what it means to have assurance of salvation, and the fruits of that salvation. And today we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5, or at least starting that section, of looking at the fruit of the new birth, the fruit of the new birth. I want to read for us verses 1 through 5, and today we're going to begin in verse number 1, and and we'll see how far we get. It tells us here in verse number 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, what we find is essentially verse 1 and 5 sort of act as these bookends of this little section that's showing us what the fruit of the new birth is. And that's what we're going to look at today here. Let's begin in verse number one. We're going to be dealing with the first fruit of the new birth is really that of, of love. And we're going to see this here in, in verse number one. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That's a new birth. And everyone that loveth um, him, that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. That's what we're going to focus on today. First of all, we need to look at the new birth. What is the new birth? What does it mean to be? born of God, and I know we're kind of skipping over a few words here to start here, but it says that Jesus is a Christ is born of God. Everyone that is in here this morning was born of a woman. You had a mother and a father. You were not hatched. You did not just crawl out of some sort of pond or anything and go, oh, look, there's there's Doug or, or there's Rick or there's Pastor Joe, right? None of those things. You were born And you were born physically. How many times were you born physically? Okay, there we go. All right, you guys are tracking here. This is pretty pretty easy math. One time. Now, uh, here he's talking about not a physical birth. He's talking about the new birth, the spiritual birth. That means to be born again, to be born of God. The idea here is that the one who is born again is one who believeth that Jesus is the Christ. And this is the critical portion here. There are many people who claim to be a Christian, and yet then if asked, well, what does it mean to be a Christian? They will say, well, it means to do good things, or it means to love your neighbor as yourself, or or do unto others as you would have them do unto you, and they give you these golden rules and different little laws and and quips that they hear and know, or they might be able to even recite John 3.16 or something. Is any of that the definition of what it means to be a Christian? No. Those are maybe some fruits and some things, right? When you're a Christian, there will be good works. When you're a Christian, you will be good unto people. You you will have those moments and times. That will be a new desire. But to be a Christian means to be born again. I I would love for us to get back to that sort of phrase because when we see many of the polls or we hear people talk around here in Carroll County, just about everybody's a Christian, aren't they? Right? But how many can actually tell you what it means to be a Christian? And sadly, how many that are in church on a Sunday morning that say, I'm a Christian, yeah. Well, what does it mean to be a Christian? Or why are you a Christian, right? Or why are you going to heaven? It's because, well, I go to such and such church. Well, I don't care what such such church you go to. How do you know you're going to go to heaven? How do you know that your sins are forgiven? How do you know that when you stand before God and you will stand before God, that you can do so with confidence and assurance as we've just talked about in 1 John 4? It is only found in the new birth. Sadly. There are many who have never been born again, but they have been a church member all their life. It's all they've ever known. But the Bible is very plain and clear. And if you just want to take Jesus' words, you, it's very plain and clear. You must be born again. And born again is not either some just spiritual awakening on your own where you read some sort of book or heard some sort of random thing and you just go well I'm gonna I'm gonna change I, I just feel like a new person a new outlook a new walk on, on life no it is an inward work of the Holy Spirit of God that has convicted us of sin and then there is a confession made that Jesus is the Christ now he makes this very clear that there is no salvation there is no new birth outside of the Lord Jesus Christ you are either, in him or you are out you are either saved or you are not there is no working your way there there is no trying to get there there is no trying to be good enough to get there you either are born again or you have not yet been born again and you must be born again now there is no salvation outside of confessing jesus as the christ of god this is important uh muslims today they believe in jesus they believe he was historical they believe that he was a, a prophet and even a, a great prophet. They do not believe that he was the Christ. The Jews even believe that Jesus was a real person. They believe that he was a teacher. Uh, even, even to some degree, v- different variances of views, that he might have been uh, some sort of prophet, but many of them just think he was a madman. But he was certainly not the Christ. They're still yet awaiting their Christ. All right? And they're going to be duped into an antichrist, by the way. That's a different lesson for a different day. There's countless of others, even the most uh, raging atheists of our day who are adamant that there is no God, even except historically that more than likely there was a man named Jesus who lived in this place, in this area, from Nazareth of Galilee and preached and taught and, and, and that sort of thing. But he was not the Christ and there were no miracles. To understand that there is a new birth and a necessary new birth We have to understand that the only way that there will ever be you being born again, the only way that there will ever be forgiveness of sins, the only way that you will ever have assurance, as John has been talking about, is found in knowing and confessing that Jesus is the Christ of God. The word Christ is that of where we get the Messiah. It is the sent one, the anointed one of God, the one who is sent before God, from God, to God, the one who is sent to do the work that only God can do for man. It is to have our mediator, the one who is sent to accomplish our salvation. Now, this is important as well because we see that Jesus is the Christ of God. Uh, Jesus is the Christ. right? He, whosoever, though, this is important. Whosoever believeth, we have that it is freely offered to all who would repent and believe. But notice that you must believe that Jesus is the Christ. It is not simply enough to say that Jesus was a good person or that Jesus was a real person, or that Jesus was a teacher. and It is not enough to say that Jesus did miracles. It is not enough to say that Jesus died on a cross. You must confess that Jesus is the Christ. It is singular. There is no other Christ. There is no other Messiah. There is no other Savior. There is no other mediator between God and men. There is no other Redeemer. There is no other Reconciler. There is no other prophet, priest, and king that could ever get us to God except Jesus the Christ of God. But it is freely offered to whosoever. But it is only received by those who believe by faith. It is by faith alone that we are saved. Faith in what? Not in good works. Not faith in your own enlightened knowledge. But faith that Jesus is saved. Christ, Christ was not his last name. It is his title. It is who he is. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. Now, David Guzik writes, We also understand that John was not talking about a mere intellectual assent to Jesus being Messiah, as even the demons might have, as described in James uh, 2.19. Um, Instead, he means a trust in and reliance on Jesus as Messiah. I'll turn back for just a, a moment. James chapter 2, verse uh, 19 says, Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But the devils are not born again, are they? No, they're demons. They're wicked. And they're destined for a lake of fire forever and forever, ever since their fall was Satan. However, they even know who Jesus is. You ever looked at and you've seen different times in Jesus' ministry when there would be someone who was demon-possessed and they'd cry out and Jesus would <laughs> hush him up you ever wonder? You see, they confessed, they knew who Jesus was, but they could never be born again because they were demons. They had no other chance of grace to be born again or to, they were even angelic beings even beforehand. They were not made in the image of God in order uh, to, to reflect God's image and, and then to be saved or, or in need of such. Now, when we understand looking at this, though, that it is not enough in your mind to say who Jesus is. It is a matter of both the mind and the heart. Unless you have heard or read the Word of God and heard or read the Gospel, unless you have had that then penetrate your heart and convict you of your sin and then confess and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be no salvation. This is why it is of grave importance to sin missionaries. This is why it is of the utmost importance for us to be missionaries. I'm not looking at just a room full of people who attend Sunday school. I'm looking at what God would consider to be a missionary. God might not have called you to go overseas, but God has called you to be who you are today, where you are. And as you go around, if there's ever been a place that needs some missionaries, it's Carroll County, is it not? The only difference is that our mission field looks a lot different because it looks just like us. It talks just like us, and it knows the Christian churchy lingo that they know just enough in their minds but to still miss heaven by about that far. It is the faith that will save the soul. Only faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not faith in anything else or anyone else. We've got to see it as much more than just a head knowledge because there are countless people in our own town, maybe even in our own churches, that would say that they know Jesus, but they know the facts about Jesus. I was lost. I grew up, God's grace kept me, praise the Lord, from many things of the world. But I was just as lost as the next one. You know why? Because I had a head knowledge of Jesus. I was the goody two-shoe kid in kids club and in youth group. I knew all the facts, all the stories. I knew where they were. I could beat everybody in sword drills, right? The whole thing. But guess what? I still did not know Jesus. I knew all about him, but I did not know him. You can know all about Neil Armstrong and not know Neil Armstrong. right? I encourage you, read a biography, right? Read some biographies, Christian, -Christian. non-Christian. Read a biography. You learn some stuff about some people's lives, how they lived, things they've gone through. But guess what? Even after reading it, you still don't know them. This is the difference here. There must be a relationship, but there will be no relationship with the Lord unless we have been born again into his family. Now, hear the idea of being born again. Turn with me, hold your place there, and turn to John chapter 3. Actually, we'll, we'll do John chapter 1, verse 12 to start. John chapter 1, verse 12 tells us this. I'll back up to verse 11. I'll just keep backing up. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him. How do you receive him? By faith. He says, To them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born. Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. To be born of God. That's that phrase. Then just over probably a page. John chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Let me ask you this. This is a simple Sunday school question. Were the Pharisees smart intellectually? Yeah. Smart the smart. They, They had more Scripture memorized than you and I. They had whole books of the Bible memorized, they had all kinds of stuff going for them intellectually. But here was the difference. This man comes to Jesus. The same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. We know you're a teacher. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. So we know know God's with you. I want you to know it's much more than God is with Jesus, but that Jesus is God in the flesh. That's the difference maker here. Jesus answered, said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. <clears throat> so here we go. Pop quiz again. Can you see the kingdom of God unless you are born again? You can't see it. You will never see the kingdom of God. You will never be forgiven. You will never reach heaven, no matter what you do, unless you've been born again. And this confuses all Nicodemus. Smartest of the smart. He says, how can a man be born when he is old? How can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? It would be ludicrous to think such. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whither it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. It is a work of the Spirit of God. To be born again in John 3 is the same idea of the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 2. For you hath He quickened. The idea is to be made alive who were dead in sins and trespasses. We often quote, and I quote it a lot, that we were born dead in sins and trespasses. But the first part of that verse is dealing with what? It's you that He's quickened. It's you that He's made alive. It's the act of uh, the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit of God. We are born again. Here's the formula. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's it. Cruz writes, and I don't have this in your booklet, so this was just for me to share with you, but... He says, both places make very clear that being born of God is quite different from a natural birth. It is something initiated by God and affected through His Spirit, and it takes place in conjunction with faith in Christ. So here, in John's context of what he's writing, what he's about to get to is as we're dealing with love here in this verse, that there is no love or life of God outside of the new birth. You are not truly alive until you've been born again. You're existing physically, but you're not alive. You're not living. You have no spiritual life. And to not have spiritual life means you're dead because you're still dead in your sins and trespasses. But there as well is not only life, but there is no love outside of the new birth because unless we've been changed by that love of God that he's talked about all throughout this book so far, then we will not love God and we will not love our fellow man. You are not born with a natural love for God. You're born with a natural rebellion to God. Even the sweetest of church ladies, they might love the things or the idea, but you must be born again. And the only way that you will truly love the things of God. And we're not just talking about liking the idea of church or being a part of something bigger and better. If you want that, you can go join the Moose Lodge. right? We're talking about spiritual, eternal things. Be a part of the church of God in order to be a part of the true church of God, not just a a member or have a plaque or, or name on a paper, is that you must be born again to have both the life of God and a love of God, a love towards God and a love for God's people. Now, as we go here, we are born again. We see this new birth take place. And it's whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, is born again been adopted into his family. And he says, and everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. Now there's a lot of begats and begottens and stuff in this verse, and it can get a little tongue-tied and a little difficult here. So here I want to break this down a little bit for us. The idea is this, that everyone that is truly born again loves God, who is our new Heavenly Father by the adoption through the work of the Son and the Spirit, loves God. The brethren, which are those that are begotten of him. So let's break this down in this verse. And everyone that loveth him that begat, who's the one that begat? It's the Lord. Who's the begotten of him? It's God's people, right? You now are, in in a sense, begotten of God in the sense that you've been born again. You're you're no longer this sort of outsider, but now you have been made a, a son or a daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You've been adopted into his family. We often forget how beautiful adoption is, let alone spiritually speaking what this means, that we were rebels, we were against the Lord, we were contrary to His Word, and He adopted us. Right? It's unthinkable from a human perspective that He adopts those that did not love Him. He adopts those that did not want to be adopted. He adopts us through the work of the Son and the Spirit. Now, what does the Son do? The Son died on the cross, taking our place, paying our sin debt, becoming our sin. He who knew no sin became sin, that we may be made the righteous of God in Him. Died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and rose again the third day, according to the Scripture, to offer us eternal life. And what does the Spirit do? The Spirit then is sent to uh, bring about conviction of sin, to draw us to Christ, to draw us to repentance, to bring us the place where that we will then confess and believe that Jesus is the Christ so that we can then be a born again a work a triune work as we see this now adoption talking about this sort of being born of God here hold your place there and turn with me to uh, Romans chapter 8 for just a moment Romans chapter 8 verse Number 11 down through 17. In this, we're going to see the work of God to save us, to adopt us as His own. Romans chapter 8, verse 11 tells us this. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For Ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit. That we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. What do we find here? We find this beautiful telling of what it means to be adopted by God. That it, it, for those who don't have a father, uh, now granted you have a physical father, whether he's your dad or not, right? You, you've been born in the world. You needed a, a father to help bring you in. Nevertheless, though there's many... Who are left fatherless due to death or desertion, guess what? You have a father. And you have a greater father than you could ever have in this world. You have the Lord God who loves you with a perfect love, with a fatherly love that is both, it's perfect in all, of, in the sense that it, it both corrects and also expresses such love. And it's his love that expresses sometimes in correction because he loves us. And we find that we are now adopted. And a part of this adoption is that there's no, there's no Indian giving with God, right? Y'all ever heard of Indian giving? I know it's not politically correct, but that's okay. We'll, we'll get through this, all right? They can censor me later on Facebook, I guess. But Indian giving is where if I give J.L. something, right, and then what does he do? He gives back. You know what, right? My grandpa used to talk about Indian giving all the time, right? He always wanted, anytime he saw me, he wanted to give, wanted to give me something. He would have a lot... He'd always try to give me a you know a piece of cash or something or whatever he had. I mean, just just who he was. And I remember every time, I was like, Grandpa, I take I don't need you. I to give just keep your money, Grandpa, for Pete's sake, right? All this. Stuff. And, and I remember very very vividly him going, "I ain't no Indian giver, right?" And I'm like, "Okay, all right." So it's always stuck. God is not going to save you then to go. You know what? They messed up again. I unadopted, boom, and throw us away. God doesn't do that. There is a special love that He has for us because He has adopted us as His own. We're not just outsiders, but we are now His. We belong to Him and He to us. We are a part of the family, and there's no longer separating this family. There's no separation. There's no condemnation, as He talks about at the bookends of this chapter. And He says that the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. There is assurance, as John has been talking about, that I know that God is my Heavenly Father because of the work of His Son and the work of the Holy Spirit that now dwelleth in me, that bears witness with my spirit, that I am His. I belong to Him. I have a family. God is my Heavenly Father. You all, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are born again of God, and that is a close family, and it should be a close family. Because it truly is a, a blood family, because we've been bought by the same blood of Jesus. Adoption being so sweet here that we find that we are regenerated and justified and adopted all by God's grace, all through faith, all found in Christ. And then it gets gooder in verse 17 <clears throat> and if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs. With Christ. It means there's an inheritance. And the great thing is not only that we get these sorts of rewards and the the streets of gold and get to see all those things. Those are certainly great rewards, but the one who adopted us is the great reward. He is the inheritance. We find in this world that we have many sorrows, we have many troubles, though things come against us, that we can rest assured that if I am born again, that God is my Father and He will take care of me. He provides. He protects. He gives gifts. Good and perfect gifts. and Doesn't He know how to give good gifts? Of course He does. And as we come back to 1 John 5.1, Everyone that loveth Him that begat, loveth Him also that is begotten of Him. Jackman writes, As soon as we realize what has happened to us through the new birth, our response is one of gratitude and love to God. He has now become our Father. We are members of a new family. At the ordinary human level, it is true that we have a special affection for and interest in the children of our friends. Therefore, we express our gratitude to the Heavenly Father for all that He has done for us by our own love for all His children. This will apply first to our love. The only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus, but also to all of God's adopted children, as verse 2 makes clear. Now, the reason why you and I obey God, as we'll get into next week, and the reason why we love God, well, we've already been told here in John. We love Him because He first loved us. And because of this love, we've now been adopted. We belong to Him. But I love what Jackman wrote, and I think this is critical. That we now, our response is one of gratitude and a love to God. You should be here today not out of obligation, but out of obedience to God's love. We should be here today not grudgingly. Oh, I got to go to church. I got to put on clothes. I got to sit around people I don't know or don't like or they smell bad. Or we got to sing songs. Got to hear Pastor Joe. I got to pretend to be awake. All these things. That's grudgingly, isn't it? but it should be done out of gratitude. Everything that we do for the Lord, everything that we do inside this building together, everything that we do outside of this building as the church of God and as an individual representing the church of God should be done with a grateful heart. Christians were known in the early church for their love for one another and for thankfulness they gave to one another. They were generous all of these things, and now today we sort of live on all these different little islands as a part of one big island here as a, as a nice independent Baptist church. We're independent, we're separated, right? And We've got all that stuff, and then we have our own little independent pockets and islands where we'll never see each other, never talk to each other, never be accountable to each other. We don't want to show up too early because we might have to talk to somebody. We definitely want to stay too late because we might have to talk to somebody. You see, this is a problem. We should love the Lord because we should be grateful for what He's done for us, but in return, we should be grateful that we're not alone. Especially if you are someone who, and, and by the way, everyone was not, didn't get to grow up how, how I got to grow up. Going off to college showed me that a little bit. There are people who grew up in a totally different way, right? I, I met homeschoolers for the first time when I went to college. That was a whole new experience there. That was, that was different, right? I met Christian school kids. I met kids who, who didn't have parents. I met... Kids who, who had been through the system, through orphanages. I met kids who had been adopted. I met kids who, who, you know, all kinds of stuff. And what I found is that while we don't all grow up the same, what we do have in Christ is a new family. And we should be grateful for one another and express our love to God and for each other. Thatcher writes, Those who truly love God will both accept Jesus as the Christ and love other believers. Do not tell me that you know Jesus as your Savior and, do, and, then, and then turn around and, and do not love His church. The, the issue that we have seen in the past couple of years has really shown a lot of true colors for a lot of true folks here. And this is everywhere. That, that people have said, oh, I love Jesus, but I don't really need the church. If you love Jesus, you will love the church because it's his bride, it's his body. It is his declared group of people that gather together weekly. They live around each other. They talk to each other. They help one another. It is to be a part of Christ is to be a part of the church and you cannot have it to be a part of church and then also somehow get lumped in with Jesus. It is Christ first, then church. There's many people who are part of going to churches but are never being a part of actual Christ or or being a part of the body. And, And there is a grave difference. But we need Jesus. And if we need Jesus and we love Jesus, what else? We need and love the church, those around us. Because the church is not going, well, I love that church because the building is prettier, the pews are nicer, or they don't have pews and they got chairs, the colors are different, or the music is better, or the this is better, or the whatever. That's building and that's outward things. To love the church is to not love a building It's not even just to love the things that can be seen and talked to. It's to love the souls of the individuals who make up the body of Christ, who make up the bride of Christ, who make up what the church actually is. The church is the people of God who have been born again. Barclay writes, if then Christians love God, the Father who created them, they must also love the other children to whom God is Father. Their love of God and their love of their Christian brothers and sisters must be parts of the same love, so closely interlocked that they can never be separated. And he's dead right. We cannot separate our love for God and then our love for his church. It's together. Never do we find, well, I love Jesus, but I just don't like church. Or never do we find, well, we do find this. We find a lot of people who say, Well, I like church, I just not big on all the Jesus extra stuff, you know, church is nice stuff. If you can like church and there's no Jesus in it, well, it's not church. Right? Church is about Christ, for Christ, through Christ, to Christ. The love for God and his children are absolutely inseparable. 1 John 4, verse 20 through 21. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God who he has not seen? And this can have we from him that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. Where there is no love, there is no life. A true believer will have a true love for God and a true love for other believers. If this is not the case, then that believer is not truly born of God. And I would say then that that means that they're not a believer. Guzik writes, and we'll be done. This is the common ground for Christians. Not race, not class, not culture, not language nor any other thing except for a common birth in Jesus Christ and the common lordship of Jesus. The beauty of the church of God is not that we all look the same, talk the same, come from the same stuff, even think the same. It is that we have been born again. That's it. That's our common ground. Our common ground is not found in, in, in many other things that we tend to make it over. It's found in the new birth in the Lord Jesus Christ. Life in Jesus, a love for Jesus. It's found in the new birth. Do you have that new birth? And if you do, we must be seeing this fruit in our life. And it starts with the love of God, a love to God and a love for his people as his adopted children. Let us pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. Grateful for the study that we can have and see your word. I pray, God, that we would have our hearts turn to you today. I pray that now during this hour as we're preparing for the worship service, God, that you would give our hearts uh, just a, a freshness from your word, God, that our hearts would be united together in Christ, that we would have a sweet spirit amongst us today, God, that we would experience your, your power and your presence and your authority through your word, and God, that we would fellowship through the gospel and that we would see our great need of love to you, love for you, and a love to and for one another. Lord, help us now we pray that you go before us and prepare us for what's to come. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all, we'll take a pause for the calls. Any guys that